Thank you for standing by and welcome to the Adairs Limited FY21 results call. All participants are in a listen-only mode. There will be a presentation followed by a question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, you will need to press the star key followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. I would now like to hand the conference over to Mr. Mark Ronan, Managing Director and CEO. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Adair 2021 Financial Year Results Call. Joining me this morning on the call is Ash Gardner, our CFO, and Jamie Adamson, our Head of Investor Relations. The 2021 financial year has been an exceptional year for the group. The results achieved by Adairs and Mocha continue to highlight the strength of our brands, the hard work of our teams, and our culture that sees us look to delight customers every day, providing us with the ability to adapt to the ongoing challenges from COVID-19. Okay. The group achieved exceptional sales and profitability growth across both Adairs and Mocha. Group sales were up 28.5% to nearly 500 million, with online sales representing more than 37% of total sales, driven by great results across both Adairs and Mocha, with all channels delivering strong sales results. The exceptional sales and gross margin results combined with disciplined cost management delivered strong operating leverage allowing both brands and the group to achieve a record profit result with underlying EBIT of 109.1 million, up 97.3% on the prior year. FY21 also saw the group invest in distribution facilities to support the future growth of both Adairs and Mocha. At Mocha, we doubled the size of our Brisbane distribution facility whilst Adairs continue to work on moving to the National Distribution Centre in Melbourne in partnership with DHL. The FY21 year result came on the back of a trading environment that was supported by consumers' additional focus on their home as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, the ongoing focus on our underlying strategies helped deliver this growth. Some of the key drivers of the Adairs sales growth over the year included the growth in retail floor space, with gross lettable area growing 8%. The store sales result continues to be highly correlated to increasing our GLA. Over the course of FY21, Adairs delivered strong sales growth through a combination of opening new stores in areas where we were not well represented and the continuation of our upsizing program. Both our new stores and the store upsizing program delivered great results as our larger stores provide us with the opportunity to showcase more products and categories and deliver a higher store contribution margin. Importantly, the new stores delivered strong sales and profit growth but also drove an increase in online sales in those catchment areas. The Linen Lover membership base increased by approximately 14% across the financial year. Linen lovers who shop with us spent on average 10% more than they did in FY20 and grew to represent more than 80% of Adair's sales. The team was highly focused throughout FY21 on signing up Linen Lovers as we know this gives us the opportunity to build a relationship with our customer and increases the chance of them returning to shop with us in the future. An increased omni-channel conversion. More customers were comfortable shopping across channels than ever before. While store closures were one driver of this, we saw customers happy to shop both in-store or online depending on the circumstances at the time. Ultimately, we know the most important driver in creating a multi-channel customer is building their trust and loyalty to the brand. We saw strong sales growth driven by the increase in multi-channel shoppers as they on average spend more which is driven by their engagement with the brand and their comfort in shopping with us how they want, when they want, and where they want. The Mocha sales growth was driven by continuing to build out our product offering. 
enhancing the customer experience through initiatives such as the introduction of augmented reality to help customers visualize the product in their home, and continuing to build brand awareness as highlighted by the 35% increase in website sessions. At Mocha, we also continued our focus on building up our customer database, with us now having more than 550,000 email subscribers available for us to both showcase our new product and promotions to. FY21 was a terrific year, and I'll now hand over to Ash to walk through the financial results in a little more detail. Thanks, Mark, and good morning, everyone. Yes, FY21 was certainly an exceptional year with many highlights. Total sales for the group of almost 500 million were 28.5% up on last year, despite a third of trading days being affected in some way by COVID-related store closures, most notably in Victoria in the first half. Online sales for $187 million across Adairs and Mocha now represent 37% of total sales. Both businesses were able to grow their customers and achieve higher average selling prices and like-for-like -like transaction growth, which converted to strong like-for-like -like sales growth and an expansion in contribution margins across all channels. Adairs stores achieved like-for-like -like sales growth of 7.4%. Online sales were up 33% to $127 million and Mocha sales grew 31% to $60 million. Despite the sporadic and at times lengthy disruptions caused by COVID, our customers demonstrated a willingness to shop across both channels, with total sales now more than 30% up on the pre-COVID-19 levels of FY19. This strong like-for-like -like sales growth, combined with a focus on gross margin and cost control, delivered the record EBIT result for the group of $109.1 million, up 97% on last year, and delivered an EBIT margin of 21.8%, an increase of 760 basis points on the prior year. Adairs reported a record underlying EBIT of 96.7 million, up 98% on last year, with an EBIT margin of 22%, driven by the strong like-for-like -like sales growth across both channels and margin expansion. Mocker contributed 12.4 million for the year, up 6 million, and ahead of the business plan, with that we put together when we acquired the business in 2019. It should be noted that Mocker was only owned by Adairs for 30 weeks in FY20. Costs continued to be carefully managed throughout the year with improved labour productivity, sorry, with improved labour productivity across our stores and distribution centres and an ongoing focus on achieving high returns and investment for key marketing and digital initiatives. As we announced in February, the company repaid its JobKeeper wage subsidy benefit and has not been eligible for any other government support. We've continued to work collaboratively with our landlords to share the impact of the store closures with rent rebates received in FY21 related to COVID store closures since the prior year. Throughout the last 18 months, we've adapted our operating model and cost base to be able to respond quickly to unplanned disruptions caused by COVID or other issues that are beyond our control. And we continue to employ these measures today as we deal with the current lockdowns across Victoria and New South Wales. It is a credit to our team for the way they've adapted to the different situations throughout the year. Their resilience and commitment to servicing our customers has been the critical ingredient to achieving this result for our shareholders. Our reported net profit after tax of 75.4 million was double last year and includes the effects of AA16, as well as the one-off transition costs for the new national DC of 1.7 million after tax and the true-up of the mock deferred consideration following the agreement to settle the deferred payment in September of 2021. The record operating result achieved has enabled us to finish the year with a strong balance sheet. Our inventory levels have improved 
and we have chosen to carry more stock than we would normally to allow for the production and shipping delays being experienced across the supply chain globally. We closed the year with cash on hand of $26 million and no bank debt and have declared a final dividend of $0.10 cents per share, which brings the total dividend for FY21 to a record $0.23 cents per share. Back to you, Matt. Thanks, Ash. On slide 10, we look at the continued drivers of our future growth, which are largely based around our Omni model. The Adair's model aims to deliver exclusive design and develop product through our vertical supply chain. The total addressable market is large, with management estimating the market to be over $13 billion in Australia. But by offering our exclusive product across multiple channels, it allows us to maximise and fully leverage the benefits that come from our linen lover program, back-end infrastructure and highly capable team. This provides Adairs with the opportunity to offer a seamless, inspirational customer experience across channels, resulting in high levels of customer acquisition, retention and preference. Given the size of the market, our opportunity to continue to grow market share by focusing on our strategic pillars is high, enabling us to deliver strong EBIT growth and margins for shareholders over the medium term. With this in mind, you can see how our five key drivers of future growth highlighted in the presentation continue to build upon this model to enable us to capitalise on the growth opportunities for both Adairs and Mocha. If I start with our proven and resilient business model, the strong brands that we own, our vertical supply chain philosophy and our direct-to-consumer store and digital channels allows us to develop and control the expansion of our product offering and customer base. This enables us to be more agile and responsive to changing customer needs through the delivery of exclusive on-trend product at higher margins. Our strong brands, combined with our large and loyal customer base, delivers a lower cost of customer acquisition and provides significant opportunity to enhance and build upon our relationships with our customers. We see the combination of omnichannel retail with loyalty as a key growth driver. Adairs is focused on continuing to grow its market share, and the best way to do this is to grow our customer base, whilst increasing our share of spend from our existing customers. Linen Lovers is the program through which we provide value to our members, allowing us to achieve this. The Linen Lover program today accounts for more than 80% of Adairs sales, and we have started our investment in data analytics capability to enhance our ability to build upon the value of this program for our customers and deliver ongoing returns for shareholders. At Mocha, we continue to review the opportunity to create a loyalty program that is relevant to our customers. We have focused on growing our email subscribers and have added more than 30% to the database over the FY21 year. This provides us with the opportunity to remarket to these engaged customers at significantly less cost than general digital marketing allows. Our focus on becoming an omnichannel leader is supported by our digital to showcase range, customer traffic measurement and analytics, both in-store and online, together with online chat. Adairs will continue to build upon its digital capabilities by upgrading the online platform in 2022. This will help enable a more seamless, omni-channel customer experience and see us introduce additional personalization and basic items such as click and collect and express delivery. Mocker is continuing to build upon its digital capabilities after successfully upgrading their online platform in FY21. This gives us both a solid foundation upon which to grow over the coming years 
and enables us to trial new technologies such as augmented reality in the short term. We will continue to trial different technologies to ensure that any significant investment delivers an enhanced customer experience. The combination of Adairs and Mocha allows us to capitalise on two great brands with well-developed digital platforms. With strong online sales growth achieved by both brands and 37% of total group sales now coming from online, we are well positioned to win share as traditional store-only customers transition to become omni-channel shoppers. The addition of Mocha to the group increases our exposure to the fast-growing online segment of the market with the significant benefits of vertical integration. Based on Mocha achieving the same penetration in Australia as it has in New Zealand, there is the potential for Mocha Australia to exceed 100 million in sales revenue simply based on population size. Mocha provides the group with greater exposure to the furniture segment and provides the opportunity to reach a different customer through design-led, value-for-money differentiated product. With a significant market to grow into, we continue to invest in product category expansion. Whilst this has been more challenging due to travel restrictions, the team have adapted to these conditions and continue to work on enhancing our width and depth of offer at Mocha. This will enable us to provide customers with a more compelling offer and in time allow customers to fit out their entire house with Mocha product. We are also investing in additional talent to supplement the Mocha management team and are excited to announce the appointment of Vanessa Brennan for the role of Mocha CEO. Vanessa brings a wealth of retail and e-commerce experience to Mocha and her appointment combined with ongoing investment in additional talent will ensure we are well placed to execute on our strategy of building market share by delivering differentiated stylish and functional product convenience and value for money to our customers. Our digital chan channels are enhanced by our store network. All of our stores are profitable and our store formats deliver strong contribution margins. Larger stores are more profitable and there is a strong pipeline of new store and upside store opportunities for us to capitalise on. As I mentioned earlier, these larger stores give us the opportunity to showcase more products and categories and enhance the customer experience. With a highly profitable store portfolio, we remain focused on deliberately creating flexibility within our store leases through relatively short lease terms, allowing us to strategically manage our store portfolio through opening new stores, upsizing existing stores, obtaining more favourable terms on renewals, or closing stores that simply do not meet our return requirements. And finally, our omnichannel business model needs to be supported by an omnichannel supply chain. Construction of the National Distribution Centre in Melbourne for Adairs is now final and we are currently transitioning stock into this facility. Whilst this project has experienced some delays as a result of a variety of COVID-19 restrictions, we expect to be fully operational in Q2. The consolidation of our multiple distribution centre operations into a single national facility will improve stock flow and online fulfilment, increase stock availability, and improve service levels for both our customers and stores during peak trading periods at a lower cost. We expect to realise 3.5 million in annual savings over our existing operations once we are fully operational. The National Distribution Centre is the foundation for Adair's integrated omnichannel supply chain strategy to better enable customers to shop Adair's how, where and when they choose and has the capacity and flexibility to support Adair's growth well into the future across all channels. Over the first seven weeks of FY22, the group has achieved like-for-like -like sales growth of 5.2% against FY21 and 50.5% against FY20 after adjusting for the impact of closed stores. Total Adair sales are down 16.1% on FY21 but up 5.5% on FY20. This has obviously been significantly impacted by stores closed due to government mandated lockdowns 
with Adair store sales down 27% on FY21, despite losing 40% of the available store trading days. All states and territories, with the exception of New South Wales, <clears throat> have experienced strong sales growth over FY20, with the customer responding well to our new ranges. While stores have been impacted, the Adair's online business and Mocha continue to grow. Adair's online sales are up 12.9% on FY21, or 131% on FY20, and Mocha sales are up 16.1% on FY21, or 74% on FY20. These are clearly strong results on the back of strong trading periods last year. <clears throat> the gross margin for the group over this period has moderated against FY21, however remains well up on FY20. If I move to the outlook and I start with consumers, while stores being closed as a result of lockdowns will impact the FY22 result, we believe the underlying consumer conditions remain positive for the home category. Household savings remain elevated, with households accumulating circa $137 billion of incremental savings over the last 18 months, which is almost equal to one year's worth of discretionary retail spend. The housing market continues to grow strongly, with churn returning to this market, delivering a tailwind for household goods, and ongoing travel restrictions continue to support customers transferring a portion of this travel spend towards household movement, further supporting the home category. Given Adair's and Mocker's positioning, we expect to continue to benefit from the current environment, which sees customers having an increased focus on their homes as a sanctuary and increasingly a place of work, entertainment and education. A buoyant home category market continues to provide Adair's and Mocker with a significant opportunity to continue to grow market share and build brand awareness. We note in the outlook side that we expect the gross margin will be impacted by supplier cost price increases caused by increased global demand and the increased cost of sea freight. We expect that these will be offset somewhat <coughs> by the stronger AUD and our ongoing focus on managing price and depth of discount. Global supply chains have been significantly impacted by COVID and both Adairs and Mocker see ongoing challenges in production capacity and shipping availability, resulting in longer lead times. As a group, we have attempted to insulate ourselves from some of this risk by carrying additional stock over the first half of the year to allow for these longer lead times. Adairs expects to open two to four new stores and upsize eight to 10 stores over the coming year with a strong pipeline of opportunities available. CapEx for the year is expected to be in the range of 10 to 15 million, reflecting the expenditure on these new and upsized stores as well as supporting the ongoing investment in our digital initiatives. Given the inherent uncertainty in the market today as a result of store closures, the board did not consider it appropriate to provide further guidance at this time. <clears throat> Before I finish, I'd like to thank a few people. I'd like to start with the Mocker founders, Emma and Cameron and Rachel and Jeremy. We've got to know them well over the last 18 months or so, and I'm thankful for the way they have helped transition the Mocker business to independent management over this time. They have done an exceptional job in building the Mocker brand into the business it is today, and we look forward to making them proud of the brand they created as we continue to build and grow it over the coming years. I'd like to thank the Adairs and Mocker customers. We get the privilege of being a small part in helping them create a home they love. Our aim every day is to continue to inspire and delight them, and we thank them for their ongoing support. And finally, to the Adairs and Mocker teams. The last 12 months have seen us come through some very different times, and unfortunately, many of the team are back in lockdown as we give this presentation today. Our teams are passionate about our businesses, and this continues to shine through in the way they go about delivering for our customers, despite ongoing challenges and changes as a result of COVID-19. 
I'd like to thank all team members across Australia and New Zealand for their hard work and dedication. I remain confident that with this great team, we are well placed to not only manage the current conditions, but put ourselves in a position to capitalise on the new and evolving retail environment, delivering shareholders ongoing profitable growth. I'll now hand over for questions. Thank you. If you wish to ask a question, please press star then one on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you do wish to cancel your request, please press star and then two. If you are on a speakerphone, please pick up the handset to ask your question. Your first question comes from Ariane Norozzi from Barrenjoy. Please go ahead. Hi guys, thank you. Um, just first one from me around Mocha. So the second half even margins, I think we're about 17%. I mean, I, I think you guys have historically said that 20% plus mark is a good sort of indicator for balancing growth and profitability. So what's driving that? Is it front-loaded cost investment and you, you expect the fruits to bear over the next 12 months or is it a change in thinking around profitability, please? I think it's a combination of things, uh, Ari. There's, there's an element of... Uh, Additional investment, you know, doubling the size of the warehouse is obviously investing ahead of the curve to enable us to manage uh, the, the future growth. Um, we've added team into that business, which we knew will uh, add value over a longer period of time. And over the second half, we probably had a quite lumpy uh, inventory supply chain piece. We had a lot of stock on the water as we gave these results in uh, in February. Um, and we, we probably ran a bit feast and famine, which meant that we had to play around with inventory and promotion, so we didn't quite uh, extract the gross margin that we expect we can deliver over the longer term. Um, and equally, we invested a little more in marketing, and some of the uh, things that we trialled didn't work quite as well as others. But I think that's the nature of a growth business such as this. We continue to remain pretty committed. To, uh, that, that range of 18 to 20%, we think, which was what we came out with when we started and we first acquired uh, Mocha, is sort of the range that we think we, we should be able to operate in. So obviously the second half was a little bit below that, but I think that's that's the approach we take going forward. Um, and obviously as we continue to grow the business and, and learn uh, what works and what doesn't, we'll continue to adjust that uh, EBIT margin accordingly, but we continue to focus on that sort of range as being how we'd like to think we can uh, we can deliver over the, the medium term. I think in, the term, in relation to Mocha as we look forward, particularly the shipping costs, uh, the, the probably a bigger component of our cost of goods sold in, a, in Mocha as compared to Adairs. So we've probably got a little more gross margin pressure in that business over the short term, but we expect over the medium term they'll, they'll moderate to a more reasonable level. They might not go back to where they were, but we're going to end up with a more reasonable level. And we also think that given that market, um, price increases are probably likely to go through... Uh, through that larger, bulkier goods in terms of homewares, given everyone's uh, having to deal with the same thing. So, you know, as I said, it's a little bit disappointing where we ended up, but that was largely based on some investments we made and, and that lumpy stock coming through in the, that second half. Perfect. Um, and just on the inventory piece, uh, Adair's inventory is up 16% on 2019, Mocha's up 70%. What, I mean, you've obviously flagged that you're holding some safety stock given all the sort of disruption in supply chain. What assumptions have you made for sort of the key second quarter trading period? Um, I mean, and what's the risk you, you need to start clearing product um, uh, to, to sort of clean up the inventory position, please? Yeah, I think, I mean, we've assumed <clears throat> that 
in, in most instances, stores will be open to a large degree. We're expecting to have ongoing lockdowns. Obviously, that's the environment we're in. But equally, I think it's important to note, in, in relation to that inventory, a lot of the extra inventory we're holding is largely based on core ranges. So we don't expect that we'd have to clear those core ranges should that not be the environment we're trading in. They, they have a longer shelf life, so you think about white sheets, towels, and in the mocha examples, a lot of our cot ranges are quite their ongoing ranges that uh, is where we're putting a lot of that inventory. That doesn't say there won't be some clearance that we need to move through should conditions not be there. You know, we've, we've got Christmas, we've got beach towels, we've got those seasonal type products, but overall we've tried to maintain a balance on that inventory piece to ensure that we're well positioned. Stores are going to be open between now and Christmas, but um, we think we've struck the balance and made sure that we're focused on uh, taking that safety stock in areas where um, where it's less risky. And the gross margin commentary um, sounds like it's obviously down year on year, but up on two years ago. I mean, last year, same time last year, you were up circa 700 basis points, which is quite phenomenal. What's, what's the view around how much of that you can give back versus retain? Um, I think pre-COVID in January, your margins were up sort of 300 basis points. So should we be thinking sort of half of that goes away and the other yeah. half continues? Yeah, we we spoke uh, at the half that we'd like to retain circa two-thirds of it, but I think the current environment we're trading in probably sees us give a little bit more back. So, you know, as we think about it today, that about half of it we think we um, we we look to put into back into price um, and equally, we've got those, obviously, uh, ongoing challenges. We think we can manage the price and, de and depth of promo piece of the puzzle quite well. We're not expecting to have to significantly reinvest in that area, but we think the cost price pressures are going to be slightly harder to see those all of those pass through to consumers in the current market, just given the uh, uncertainty that's out there today. So um, I think if you think about... Uh, us retaining 50%, somewhere between 50% and two-thirds is, is what our aim will be. And obviously, we'll see how the season trades out. It's, it's seven weeks. The smallest seven weeks of the year, it's, it's pretty hard to tell. And, uh, and there's a lot of moving parts this year, more so than other years. Yep, and so last one around the Divi. Um, do we interpret the, I mean, the, the payout ratio is well below your target or your historical range. Do we interpret that as your... Future like the, the, an indication of your future confidence, or is that just being conservative in uh, during the lockdown? I think, yeah, I think everyone knows that uh, the, the Adair's management team tends to take a conservative approach to these. So I think you can take that as being conservative, um, and, and that was our approach. There's plenty of time to, to think about how those dividends roll out in the future once we get a little more clarity on on the trading environment we're operating in. So. Um, we adopted a lower a lower ratio on a conservative basis, basis to make sure that we we balanced both rewarding shareholders for an uh, you know a terrific year, but equally um, just maintaining the strength of our balance sheet to uh, to trade through uncertain times and and still consider what other opportunities might be out there on the other side of these uncertain times. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Your next question comes from Mark Wade at CLSA. Please go ahead. 
Uh, good morning, guys. Yeah, brilliant result. Just uh, yeah, playing playing devil's advocate. What should what should give us the confidence that uh, you know this is not as good as it gets? Yeah. I mean, you said something unique there in the in the in the number of customers you've attracted uh, new to the brand. Um, something in the in the behaviour of the shoppers, which means you know, they're more likely to stay in the in the home categories for longer. Uh, since the onset of COVID. So, yeah, is, is there more to it, or is this as good as it gets? I think there's always more to it. I think if you think about the size of the market, you know, we're we're still a relatively small player in relation to the size of the market. I think when we look at it, the, the beauty of the Linen Lover program is that we continue to grow that year on year, and those customers continue to come back. So every year that we keep investing in bolting on more linen lovers. And when we talk about investing in uh, attracting linen lovers, it's not done with uh, a, a high marketing spend or anything like that. A lot of it's actually converting those customers in store to become linen lovers using the assets that we have, such as our store team. Um, and that approach uh, enables us to build a relationship with the customer. So I think in that regard, we do have a, an element of a unique uh, consumer proposition in relation to continuing to build that Linen Lover program. I think unlike potentially other databases and the like that are thrown around as statistics, you've got to remember that every one of those Linen Lovers on that program had to sign up in the last two years and pay the 20 bucks. So, you know, that, that says they're more highly engaged. They're looking to extract value from that uh, the program they've joined. So I, I do think we're well positioned there. And, and equally, it comes back a bit to also creating products for them. You know, we are one of the few businesses uh, in Australia that's trying to drive that fashion and trend element in this space at, a, at this sort of scale. And, uh, and the product team have done an amazing job again at continuing to meet customer needs and interpret the trends. And, and I say that in a, in a more challenging environment given our inability to travel. So we've adapted to different ways of doing that. So, you know, I think we've got Good customer engagement today, and we think the markets, there's still many more linen lovers that we can add into that. We've obviously got the stores and, and continue to upsize and roll out the larger stores in areas where we're not. And I think the exciting thing from there is as we roll out those stores, we do see more customers shop with us both in-store and online in that catchment area. So that, that does build a, an advertising and a brand awareness piece as we build that out. Um, and as we continue to invest in creating a more seamless experience, I think we've got a lot of work to do in that space. So, you know, I, I think we've got lots of levers. I think FY22 in the short term is going to be challenging given, you know, the lockdowns and all the rest of it. But as I said uh, in my presentation there, uh, I think our strategic pillars and the growth levers we've got put us in a good position over the medium term to ensure this isn't as good as it gets. Um, and we'll continue to focus on customers and product because I think that is what delivers it um, over the longer term and, and there's lots of levers within those two areas for us to continue to pull. Mm -hmm. No, no, that's a really comprehensive uh, reply, so thank you. And, and just on that on that matter of the lockdowns, I mean, you, you've seen it in the past when you, as you, as you come out of them, you know, and you feel like you haven't had a lot of demand destruction, as in like people have just delayed their uh, their purchasing behaviour. Is that, that, is that still the, the current thinking? You haven't permanently lost those sales and you can still call them back? I think you lose some, to be fair. I think there are some that uh, moment in time, you lose the impulse, right? Someone walks past the store window, sees an amazing product on the bed, buys it, 
didn't think they were going to buy it but and didn't necessarily go looking for it. So I think you lose an element of the impulse buy. I don't think you lose them all, and we expect that, you know, like we've seen as uh, when other states have come out of, of lockdown, we do see it revert pretty strongly back into store uh, in particular. So, you know, I think we will, the longer they go, what we also see is we get a, a bigger transference to online, so short, sharp lockdowns. We tend not to see an immediate response to online. People think it's going to be three, four, five, seven days. Um, so we tend to get a deferral in the first week. Then after that week gets extended, which seems to be the uh, way lockdowns are just going at the moment, um, we then start to see online pick up its share. And then when we come out of it, we, we see customers come back to store. I mean, I can't remember whether I gave the example on the, this call uh, at the half, but um, you know, we regularly see customers come in and you know, they love to see the store team again. We have people deliver cakes to the store team uh, last time we reopened. So you know, our stores are, are, are missed and are, and are well loved by our customers. So we expect to see uh, good growth come back when, uh, when they do reopen. And we probably have you know, those little windows there where you get a bit of a bubble as, you, as those stores reopen. Um, over the half. So, you know, I think um, for us, we're in a good position and we expect that we will see some of that return, but equally, markets fair to say that uh, the longer they go on, the harder it is to pick up those, particularly those impulse sort of components of those sales that you would normally get just with customers walking around shopping centres. All right, credit to to the whole team. Well done on a, you know, amazing result. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Your next question comes from Apoor Segal from UBS. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, Mark, Ash and Jamie. Um, just my first question on the stat that store sales of the first seven weeks are down 27% um, versus 40% of store trading days closed. Um, do you think you've potentially won further market share in these last seven weeks? Potentially. I mean, it's hard to work out. It's really hard to work out. You haven't got a lot of uh, direct competitors providing similar sorts of numbers uh, in that sort of trading window when you think so much of this category is still shopped in department stores and obviously there's a bunch of private players out there. I think we've done a reasonably good job of um, things like call and collect uh, helping to ensure that we maximise the opportunity. Um, So I think that continues to be what we aim to do, uh, whether we've grown market share, uh, anyone's guess, uh, to be honest. I'm probably more focused at the moment on, on just thinking about how we continue to manage this trading conditions to the very best of our ability within our own circle, rather than think too much about is that are we winning or losing share, um, just given the, the number of moving parts that we're, we're obviously dealing with on a, unfortunately, week-to-week basis. Yeah, sure, that's clear. Um, and how are you seeing the, the competitive environment over the last couple of months in terms of promotional activity, any discounting, um, and overall marketing intensity? Yeah, well, I think the marketing intensity is there. We're definitely seeing strength in, um, you know, increasing costs in in that digital marketing space. We've seen a lot of the retailers go back to a more traditional uh, style of depth of promo, length of promo, uh, and those elements. And we've certainly continued our approach that that's not what we want to do. We want to balance that out, and we've been reducing that and continue to stay strong to that strategy, probably despite the trading conditions that we're seeing. It means that we play around with it a little bit, but uh, but we think that's still the right long-term decision for the brand. 
Um, so we've seen, you know, at the department stores ran a far more traditional uh, mid-season sale and that ran through the normal period, if not slightly longer at some instances. Um, our friends at Bed, Bath & Table have, have pretty much done what they normally do. So, you know, I would say that we've returned to a more normal uh, trading, retail trading environment uh, in relation to depth of promo and length of promo. And we have endeavoured uh, to maintain our approach to try and both reduce the length of time we're on full store promos and equally keep managing that depth of discount. And as I said previously, we've, we've definitely learnt some elements around uh, which categories need that, that stronger discount and which are a bit more commodity and therefore we've had to give a bit back in those areas, but equally capitalising on the uniqueness of our designs and ensuring we maximise the uh, the opportunity in that space has been something that we've, we've retained focus on. So, um, yeah, the competitor, competitive environment is, you know, it's probably back to normal and uh, and just like we've seen in the past. So, you know, it just gives us, it's no different. I would, I would argue perhaps it's a little more expensive in that digital space though. Mm. Now, thanks for the detail. Um, just one final question from me. Um, any colour on recent rental negotiations and how you see the environment for that um, and therefore the outlook for occupancy costs into FY22? Uh, well, we continue to see ongoing... It depends, depends on the store. I've always said this. Is, stores fall into three categories. You've got great stores, and if you've got a great store, you are unlikely to get uh, significant uh, rent reduction or change in that space. Um, we're seeing some, some good deals in around uh, shopping centre and potentially some of those more B-grade shopping centre stores um, and working through those. So uh, that comes through the numbers, but it takes time, right? It's not going to see, you're not going to see a significant change in the uh, rental expense in the, in the short term, just given the nature of how many stores are there and the, the way these these reductions sort of flow through. So I, I wouldn't sit there suggesting that you uh, start modelling a significant reduction in occupancy costs in FY22. Um, obviously, there's, a, there's ongoing thoughts and discussions uh, going on at the moment around rental rebates and COVID-related lockdowns and all the rest of that that have got a lot of water to go under the bridge. And I think what we're going to see actually over this half is a deferral and a delaying of some of those renewals um, whilst landlords have to deal with, obviously, uh, the, the impact of these lockdowns. So what we find is we most landlords have to, you know, we, we all go back to managing the day-to-day -day and what's happening in the market today and some of the, the longer-term stuff gets kicked down the road a bit. But, um, you know, there, there are rental reductions out there, but I wouldn't be expecting significant changes to our occupancy costs in the short term. Very good. Thanks, Mike. No worries. Thank you. Your next question comes from Joe Little at Morgan's. Please go ahead. Good morning, Mark and Ash. Uh, most questions have been um, asked, but just you make a point that you continue to assess potential acquisition opportunities in the slide deck. Um, what does the, like, the perfect or the right acquisition look like for you? You know, is it start-off, is it established, um, online only, core products that have to be profitable, et cetera? That's a, that's a big question, Joe. Um, when I think about it, I mean, it, it'll be home. It'll have enough scale and size about it to move the needle over the medium to long term. It needs to have great growth prospects. Um, it needs to be, it, it can either be online only with a thought that how might we turn it into an omni-channel business or an existing omni-channel business. 
Um, you think about what we think about when we look at our, I guess, proven and resilient business model, as we call it. You know, we think about they need to develop and design their own product, vertically source. We think all of those things are key strengths in a retail business, um, direct-to-consumer. So uh, as you start to play that out, there's probably plenty of brands out there that potentially fall into that bucket. Um, equally, I think some of the challenge is in the businesses that uh, we've obviously, uh, I said last time, I think every homewares business in Australia was for sale somewhere between February and, and June of last year, but uh, trying to work out what the sustainable earnings of a lot of those businesses is quite challenging, uh, and therefore, given our conservative nature, we uh, we tend to pull away pretty quickly from, from a lot of them if the expectations are, are too high. So it needs to be, uh, I think that gives us some element of it needs to be well-priced and, and on traditional sort of metrics given our love of EBIT and uh, and cash flow. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, and just in terms of that 7 mil impact short term, I should should we just run that through at the gross margin? I mean, are you actually paying rent in your stores that are closed today and that deferral conversation happens down the track? Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. We're in negotiations or discussions with them, and I, I, at the moment, I'd wash it through pretty much through the P&L uh, pretty directly at the gross margin level. Given, you know, we'll continue to pull levers, but uh, as we sit today, we haven't got any of those levers in in the bag. So therefore, you you should assume that um, the only cost we've really taken out is uh, a level of team in. Uh, those stores that are impacted by the lockdown. So you think about our casual workforce and the like, um, and we've obviously had to uh, stand a lot of those guys down given the current uh, circumstances, don't see them having uh, any meaningful work to do as opposed to we, we wanted to do it. It's just there's not enough to do in stores while we're just running the call and collect model. So that's really the only significant saving that we've banked in the first seven weeks, and, uh, and the rest of that will be an ongoing negotiation, no doubt. Yeah, perfect. And if you just look at the comps outside of the, you know, the, the store impact, I mean, it's, it's quite encouraging. I'm, I'm presuming like a, a market like WA, least impacted, you know, West Coast is probably going to be one of your strongest markets. Um, would that be fair? And are you seeing quite healthy, you know, single-digit comps in a market like that? Yeah, I think WA is definitely the uh, a good example of a market that's uh, largely operating more normally. Um, and yeah, we're quite comfortable that our store sales have stacked up really well against FY21 in that market. Um, and, and that gives us great confidence that the product itself is resonating. And if we had all stores open, obviously these numbers would be, be a bit different for the first seven weeks. Um, so yeah, no, we've seen, we've seen good, um, like for likes in WA as compared to, uh, other states. And you know, that, that low single digit is about the the area where we should be you should be thinking. But equally, you know, word of caution, first seven weeks of the year, really small time, you know, all the stuff that I normally put around it. But to be fair, it's one of the few markets we've got real visibility as to whether the product's resonating and um it's definitely one that we're probably a little more focused on at the moment given it gives us some direct line of sight as to success of product as opposed to trying to manage the, the overarching business given the lockdowns in other states. Okay, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Ash. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Your next question comes from Wilson Wong at Jarden. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Can you just quantify the savings on wages from the store closures in FY21 
And how do you think about it in terms of the net change in FY22, just given the reduction from the current lockdown as well? Oh, Josh, you want to have a go at that? I think it's probably better to look at it from a um, wages-to-sales ratio. I mean, we look to try and run the stores. So if we go into a lockdown, you know, like Mark just mentioned before, where we've had to stand the team down, we look at what are the minimum hours we need for safety and what are the hours that we need to maintain an acceptable level of, of productivity. Um, we will flex the wages up quickly as sales demand increases because our business is very much focused on um, on service and, and driving high returns or sales per hour. So um, so I think you're better off looking at it from a from a labour productivity perspective, and from our, you know, we're continuing to manage that carefully and um, and do what we need to do to to get the same levels of productivity out of our team as possible. Okay, that's clear. And just my second question is just around, I guess, which product categories have been prominent, I guess, in the first seven weeks um, of training in this financial year, and um, can you give us a sense of sort of the level of repeat? customer sales you're seeing more recently? Yeah. In terms of product categories, I mean, obviously, the the bigger ones have probably followed the trajectory of the numbers that you you see in there, given something like bed linen and 40% of the business, it, it largely trades in line with whatever numbers we uh, we publish. So in those first seven weeks, you, you're largely seeing some of our core categories uh, trade to, to those sorts of levels or, or slightly behind uh, those levels because we've seen good growth out of, uh, in particular, home decor and some of our um, our category expansion and, and investments we've made in things like home storage has been a great uh, investment that we made and we started to build our home storage category in February, March and that continues to trade well. Uh, tabletop's been uh, amazing as we start to invest in that. So areas where we've really thought about and invested in in product width and depth uh, are obviously trading well. We've actually seen kids trade really well over the first seven weeks as compared to um, last year. So, you know, I think the, the beauty of that is the areas that we are investing, both people and inventory, have traded well and ahead of the, the rest of the business. And we're pretty confident that uh, having a look at our WA numbers, that um, when we get stores reopened, our core categories should bounce back uh, relatively well, which uh, sets us up well for both uh, continuing to drive the business forward and uh, obviously identifying those growth categories and seeing good performance in those is encouraging for us to continue to build them out over the coming years. So my, my last question just around, I guess, the investment strategy for Mocha under the new CEO, any sort of indication on that, and I guess the size of the investment infrastructure that you flag? Look, I think uh, we, we we don't think we need to invest super heavily to deliver ongoing growth in Mocha. You know, we, that's why we talk to trying to maintain uh, that EBIT margin. That might dip in the short term if we think there's an opportunity to invest more in people and talent to get us uh, the longer-term opportunity, and, and obviously that was one of the key conversations we had with the, the founders at the time in that we wanted to invest uh, more quickly and more heavily, and uh, given the nature of the earnout, mm-hmm. um, that that led us to not being aligned on timing and, uh, and horizons in some of those investments. So um, at this stage, 
well, given in particular that Vanessa hasn't started, um, it's hard for us to give you a, a lot of colour on that, um, but it's definitely a, an ongoing conversation that I expect uh, we might be able to give more colour at the half once uh, Vanessa's definitely uh, spent a bit more time in the business and uh, and together uh, we've worked up that strategy uh, and, and made sure that we're comfortable with it. We obviously have an underlying strategy, but we're really keen for her to get her feet under the desk and uh, and start to understand uh, how it all works today and, and where those that key those key investments need to be made to continue to build out that, that business under her uh, leadership going forward. Thanks. Thanks, guys. That's helpful. Thank you. Your next question comes from Damien Hector, a private investor. Please go ahead. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm glad I got a question and congrats on the good work. I've just got two questions, one on your Linen Lovers membership. In raw numbers or percentage terms, uh, could you maybe share uh, what the growth has been year on year? Um, and second, you mentioned data and analytics. Are there you know, maybe a top three or five priorities have you set them in stone on how you're planning to use data and analytics to drive, you know, uh, measures you have in mind? Yeah, so let me answer the, the first one. Uh, in terms of our Linen Lover membership, over the last uh, sort of five years, the, the TAGAR of that is 14.5% per annum, and last year was largely in line with that. So, um, And we think that was probably impacted by, in particular, the Melbourne store closures over the first half. We know that stores deliver a, a greater proportion of linen lovers to the program, as I said before, given the great work that the store team do in um, talking to customers and convincing them or selling to them the benefits of that, that membership program. So, you know, that we see that as a, a continued strategy for us and, and something that uh, I think will be impacted by the store closures, but over the longer or, or medium term, we should continue to be able to grow at those sorts of 10 to 15% per annum. Um, in terms of the data and analytics, what we've started our investment on is, I, I think, doing a lot of work in building our, our views of customers and how we start to build out our what we call our customer data platform and single source of truth. Um, that will initially, we see a lot of benefit coming from that in relation to personalization and more targeted segmenting of our customers. Um, such that they get more inspiration and offers that are relevant to them as opposed to uh, a larger uh, batch and blast sort of approach, which we, whilst we do segment and target specific customer groups today, a lot of that is manual and quite time intensive. So the, the first element of investment should start to see uh, us be able to improve that. And I think the beauty of data and analytics is whilst I've got a number of ideas, I wouldn't want to share them now because I think as we build out that platform and that program, uh, we'll be using the data to help drive those ideas and really um, dig into those ideas as opposed to uh, and maybe proving my, my hypothesis right or wrong uh, as we look forward. So uh, I think the first one you, you, you will see is personalization, product recommendations, and, and some of that taking the data we've got, which is obviously extensive, and putting it to better use, which should improve both the customer experience and I think we can also get an improvement uh, in efficiency in our digital marketing costs as that starts to come on to make sure that we're targeting the right customers with the right sorts of uh, product and potentially deals. So um, I hope that, that gives you some uh, inclination as to where we're going. Um, but, you know, we've got a, a long road to walk there, which is both exciting in the relation to future opportunities um, for the brand, but equally I think we've got a, a really clear short-term target that we're going after in that space. 
Okay, thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Graham Douglas from Eastern Investments. Please go ahead. A great result, guys. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. But I've got a question okay. looking a little bit further. No, much help. Very helpful. Well, I've got a question looking a little bit further down the track, um, and it really concerns when the economy starts to open up a bit for travel. I mean, at the moment, we've got a situation where there's $60, $70 billion sloshing around trying to find a bit of enjoyment. And, and no doubt, looking at my own wife, your place is a bit good as any to get some enjoyment. But that money's going to start to flow out of the country. And when that eventually does in the next year or two, how do you see that shaping the business and the numbers we're seeing now? Well, I think that's what, when we sit here today, we think, um, we know that is likely to occur at a point in time. Um, clearly, as you say, that, that that money is looking for a home. A lot of it is obviously ending up in that savings bucket as well, but um, but a lot of it's also looking for a home. Um, and with that in mind, that's why we focus on, in particular, the Linen Lover Program. So my view on that, Graham, is that what we can do today to best put us in the position to manage uh, when that starts to come off, is to build out our relationship with our customers, put more people into the Linen Lover program, uh, and with that, we have the ability to obviously talk to and market to those customers who have engaged with us over that period um, and continue. What we find with customers is once they start, um, and maybe your wife's a good example of this, they don't tend to stop, even though these other things come into it. They might might defer or delay and we might have slightly less transactions a year or, or we could have those sorts of things happening. But as we build that database, what we find is, and when I talk to customers, they've always got the next idea that they want to move to uh, in their home. The home is never complete and that's the beauty of, uh, I guess, selling into homes and thinking about the home category. And with our team also then thinking about the fashionability, we know that changes over time and, and colours change and themes change. So those people who are highly engaged in this space will continue to invest in that space to, to maintain on trend and they see it as a really important part of who they are and should, I expect, still be able to do some of the other stuff. I think we end up, but there will be a period, no doubt, where that, uh, that happens. But when I sit here today, the number one thing for us to do as a business, and this is what we've been very focused on, is continue to grow our loyalty program and the members within that loyalty program because that gives us the best opportunity to talk to them when market conditions change for whatever reason that might be. Um, and that, that, will, that is something we can do proactively now, um, build that relationship, become their brand of choice, um, such that when that changes, what we might find is uh, some of that shift happens, but we still will maintain our share and we might take an increasing share of their wallet as opposed to today, perhaps it's being spread around four or five retailers and, and we, uh, we're not getting it all, but in the future perhaps that's another way to mitigate that. So that's how we think about it today. We're really focused on, uh, on how we continue to grow those linen lovers and how the other one for us is that category range expansion, which allows us to do more for customers which I think helps build that brand loyalty that we become their brand of choice for everything home as we build out our categories. Um, and equally, that allows us to access more of that uh, market share and more of their spend per annum uh, as, they, as they spend across a variety of areas in their home. So those two pillars become, you know, they're our biggest uh, opportunity for growth and also I think our biggest defence against those times when things get a, when I guess 
the world returns to somewhat more normal. Um, I'm just not sure when that is at the moment. Okay. Um, one other question. Uh, when you, you uh, started to put together the new warehouse, you flagged that there would be some savings there between three and five million. Are you still expecting that to come up? And if so, will that come up in the financial year 22? Yeah, we still expect to deliver three and a half, roughly three and a half million per annum savings. That's come down a bit from the top line because we're putting more product through it uh, as as part of that. Um, and equally, we've had a, a bit of a shift clearly in percentage of online. The good thing is that those are the facility, we made sure that it was more than capable of handling any uh, shifting channel. So we're very comfortable that the facility set up to support our online business uh, in, in the way that it is today and the way we expect to see it in the future. So, yeah, we, you, you will see that $3.5 million. It'll obviously be a bit pro rata for FY22. Um, yeah. I have no doubt that uh, probably first half you won't see heaps of it given... We, there's always a few teething problems whenever you go live with something like this. I don't want to give everyone... Uh, it's so far so good, but uh, I want to make sure the team know that um, we're, we're respecting that they probably have a few few things that uh, might go wrong over the next little while, but equally, um, you know, I'm really comfortable that we're in a great position and that those savings will come through as soon as we get that uh, operation on a BAU sort of basis. And, uh, I, you know, at this point... I. I'd also just like to shout out, I think the team in the DARES have done an amazing job and, and partnering with someone like DHL, we see the real value in that and we've been really impressed with the, what they've brought to the table. So we think we're in, we're in a really good position. And one last question then. Given the situation in Asia with COVID running pretty rampant through there, um, do you see... As if that continues, how do you see that on your stock position, your ability to get new products? Through? I know you've got stock in your warehouse, but I mean, yeah. that's only going to go so far. If you assume a 50% margin, well, you know, there's like you know, 120, $130 million worth of sales, and that's a long way short. So therefore, what sort of situation, uh, how do you see the situation playing out to make sure you've got what you need and the quantity you need where you need it? Yeah, I, look, to be honest, I think it's going to be pretty lumpy over the next little while. There's a combination of um, supply chain challenges, um, capacity challenges at suppliers, et cetera, et cetera. So as you, as you pointed out, we have tried to isolate the business a bit from that by carrying some more inventory. It, it does have the ability to impact our fashion coming in. What it comes back to, though, is we've just got to work with our suppliers uh, as closely as we can to understand where they're at and how they're, they're dealing with it uh, in their specific area and region. Um, and as a business, I think the beauty of being in a retail business is we, we never expect everything to go right. So therefore, we, uh, we're well prepared to think about how we change, adapt, move away from, right, that was the promo we were going to run, that was the product we thought we were going to get, it's going to be late, how do we adjust our uh, marketing and promotional plans? So for us, what it means today is we have a bunch of plan Bs. I'm not concerned that we run out of inventory. I think today I haven't got anything coming to me that says we're going to, that our suppliers are in a spot where they are going to have to close down for a significant period of time or, or anything like that. Um, I am concerned that our supply will be a bit lumpy um, and therefore what we've done with that is made sure we've got the relevant plan Bs ready to go and thought about that 
and even just thought about where what's the right investment to make in marketing and promotions and, and those elements such that we provide ourselves with the greatest flexibility to adapt to the, the environment uh, as, it, as it plays out. So, yeah, as I said, I'm not concerned about inventory, running out of inventory. Um, I think it'll, as it'll be a, a I also don't expect it to run exactly to the plan I've got today, and therefore we've, we've built contingency around that. Okay. Well, that's great. Thank you very much. Much appreciate your time. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Our next question comes from Peter Cooper, a shareholder. Please go ahead. Uh, good, good morning, Mark, Ash and Jamie. Um, congratulations on a great result in exceedingly difficult circumstances. Um, just a quick question for me um, in terms of talent. What, what are you doing to firstly retain the talent in the business? And secondly, what are you doing to attract talent into this growing business? Good question. Um, I think in relation, I'll start with retain because I think we've got a great team and how do we continue to retain and develop that team. We are actually investing uh, relatively heavily uh, compared to prior years in our um, ability to add uh, talent uh, through training and, and education of those key leaders within our business. So we've We've got a, a, we're working actually with a program with the Melbourne Business School. We've got a number of other initiatives happening in here where we're looking to add um, capability to our existing team and give them the, the right level of challenge within their role and equally the right level of training and development outside of that role to help them fulfil their total opportunity because I think, uh, as you say, the business is growing and what we want to do is build a, a really solid not only management team but next level down that continues to drive our strategy going forward. Um, and with that, then in relation to attracting, that that comes back to making sure that we, we're in, in market and that we're providing the right both environment for our team to operate in and equally thinking about things like flexible working conditions, which has become something that's a little more uh, wanted by potential candidates and understanding how that all works. Um, and I think over the time, the one thing we've made sure of throughout COVID is uh, communication with our team has been really important, whether we know the answer or not. Um, equally supporting the team from working from home um, through to uh, providing them with uh, incentives when we are delivering such results as these. So we've tried to make sure that we have looked after the existing team as well as we can. And with that, we're, we're obviously hopeful and we expect that that word of mouth as to how well the team have been looked after during the last 12 or 18 months continues to get out there and we, we move towards becoming an employer of choice uh, in this space. But um, it's no doubt at the moment that uh, attracting great talent is, uh, is potentially harder given uh, lack of borders, uh, movement around is restricted, all of those sorts of things, but we, we think we're in a in a good position and uh, we'll continue to invest in that. I think the, particularly the learning and development opportunities for our existing team, uh, building great talent from within is something that we think is a great opportunity for the business to build on the strength of the team we have today and create uh, future retail leaders uh, from within our business. Thanks, Mark. And just one final question from me. It's in relation to the Adairs brand. Are you looking to develop any new categories within, within Adairs itself? Oh, well, we continue to think about how we, we build out that category range expansion. As I said, um, you know, we've been really happy with our, our tabletop, our home storage over the last little while. We, we think we've got more room to go on those. Kids is amazing. 
Um, and we've played around with our Mark Tucky furniture, which is actually delivering some terrific results as well. So I think what you'll see from us, Peter, is an ongoing um, slow and test and learn approach to our category range expansion, um, building out the business whilst maintaining those heroes of bed linen, bedding, cushions and throws. So we're getting the balance right of not trying to confuse customers about why you come to Adairs, but equally start to build out more and more options in some of these other categories to enable them to decorate the home. So I wouldn't sit here today and say there's a, there's a silver bullet. This category is going to deliver big numbers over the next uh, three to four years. But I think any one of those categories that we're, we're trialling and learning in, we, we see great opportunity in all of them to uh, add significant sales and uh, obviously profitability to the group over that three to four year time horizon. Thanks very much, Mark. And, and again, congratulations on the great result. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. That does conclude our question and answer session. I'll now hand back for closing remarks. Thanks everyone for uh, attending today. Apologies to those that uh, didn't get a chance to ask a, ask a question and we'll, uh, they can reach out to Jamie directly if they want to uh, follow that up. But uh, again, thank you all for attending. We look forward to uh, what is an interesting time in retail and uh, we'll continue to react and adapt to the changing circumstances and we expect to continue to delight our customers over this half and deliver what will be the uh, a good result given the circumstances that we're trading in. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone. That does conclude our conference for today. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. <laughs>